Welcome to Journey Through the Bible with Joshua Smith. The Bible is the single most important book in history. It is the very words of God put on paper. In this podcast, we will walk through the pages of His Word as we seek to understand His message to us. In Isaiah 55, 11, God says, My word that proceeds from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please, and it will prosper where I send it. As we study His Word, He will accomplish within us what He desires. That is our prayer. That is the journey. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to Journey Through the Bible. This is Josh. This is episode 10. We are in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, and we are in the Beatitudes. Today we're going to be talking about blessed are those who mourn. But before we get into that, I will just ask if you are enjoying this uh, and haven't subscribed, go ahead and subscribe, whether you're listening to Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or however you're listening, go ahead and subscribe. Leave me a comment as well. Let me know what you think uh, and share it with uh, share it with your friends. My prayer is that this is a blessing uh, to us all as we dive into his word, because we believe that his word will not return void, but it will accomplish what he purposes. Again, we are in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, verse 2 through 11 is the section properly or uh, popularly rather known as the Beatitudes. Uh, last episode, we uh, discussed the first one, poor in spirit, but let's just dive in and read it again and refresh our minds. Verse 2 of Matthew 5 says, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are those who mourn. Now, when we think of mourning, not a lot of positive uh, things come into our mind, right? Mourning has a very negative aspect or a negative kind of connotation or feeling uh, to it. And so it is, is what what is Jesus saying here when he tells us that we are blessed when we mourn is he saying that he wants us to be sad and to walk around just moaning and mourning and and groaning in sadness uh, no that that certainly is not the case um, so what are we talking about here well let's start with the definition the definition of mourn is to feel or show deep sorrow or regret for or feel regret or sadness about. Mourning in this instance is not an uncontrollable sadness, though there is a hint of that in its usage, but rather it is an intentional sorrow of over something. And in this case, Jesus is speaking of sin. The last episode we talked about being poor in spirit, which is the intellectual realization that we are sinners. 
hear what Jesus is saying to us. Blessed are those who mourn. This is the emotional response to that realization. We have an intellectual realization that we are sinners. We are poor in spirit. We can, we can do nothing without Jesus. And so here, now we mourn. We have an emotional response to the realization that we are sinners. This word for mourn and uh, translate, it's the strongest Greek word used in the New Testament to express grief. It is often used of the passionate lament expressed over the loss of a loved one. But rather than an uncontrollable sadness, mourning is a godly sorrow that produces repentance. It is the emotional response to the intellectual realization of our sin. And that's the first aspect uh, of, of mourning. When we say blessed are those who mourn, what are we saying? Well, we, we are saying that we should have a godly sorrow over my own sin. See, we are to mourn over our sin because it, it was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. It is our sin that breaks the heart of God. When we sin, we need to be sorrowful about it, not in a way that produces guilt. We'll talk about that later, but in a way that causes us to look to heaven with a repentant heart, seeking forgiveness. We can look throughout scripture and we can see this, this mourning over our sin uh, several, several, in several instances throughout Scripture. We can see David in the Old Testament after he sinned with Bathsheba. He cried out in repentful mourning in, in Psalms chapter 51. The whole chapter is, is just this, this repentant, mournful attitude towards the sin that he had committed. In verse 10, he cries out, God, create within me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. We see this morning in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. I'm not going to read it, but the, the story is of a sinful woman who came to Jesus and weeping as she washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. She left that meeting with his words in her mind that your sins are forgiven you. We see this morning in the parable of the prodigal son when he had wasted his life. He had wasted his inheritance. He is now sitting in a pigsty. And the scriptures say he comes to his senses and returns to his father's house. We also see here the promise of the beatitude that blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. You see the son returned seeking a place as a servant, but the father welcomed him back with feasting and a party. But I don't know if there is a greater way to uh, help us understand what Jesus is talking about than Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. And I want to read that for you. It says this, He also, speaking of Jesus, told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He said, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself 
will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Here in this parable that Jesus uh, tells, there's a Pharisee, one who thought he was righteous and a tax collector, one who in biblical times was thought of as about as evil as you can get. And so the Pharisee here, he lifts up a prayer of pride and self-righteousness. Nowhere to be found in this attitude of the, of the Pharisee is the poverty of spirit, as we talked about last episode. Nowhere is there any admittance or realization that he is a sinner in need of rescuing. Then we have this tax collector who was in such awareness of his sin, he wouldn't even look to heaven, but he cried out simply, Mercy! That is a wonderful picture of what it means to mourn as Jesus speaks of here in Matthew chapter 5. We can also go to Acts 2. The Holy Spirit has come upon his people and, and Peter stands and preaches to the crowd there in Jerusalem. And when he is finished preaching, we read in verse 37 that when the crowd heard his message, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted by the truth. They realized the error of their ways and 3,000 of them were saved in that day. Do we feel the weight of our sin? Do we grasp the magnitude of sinning against an awesome, holy God? When we come to that realization, the proper response is one of mourning and sorrow. We fall on our faces before God and, and, and God, I'm sorry that I'm a sinner. But thanks be to God, that is not the end of the story. We, don't, we are not left in this place of, of sorrow. We're not left in this place of hopeless mourning. Because Jesus says, when we mourn, we'll be comforted. We'll come back to that. But before we do, I, I want to I say this, that not only should we have godly sorrow over my own sin or over our own sin, but we should also have godly sorrow over other sin. You see, if we mourn over other sin, it produces within us the desire to see them changed. Just as this mourning over my sin takes me to the cross... As we'll see, mourning over other sin produces within us the desire to see them changed. When we look around at the sin in our world, we should not do so in a manner of judgment, but we do so in a manner of sorrow for their sin. 2 Corinthians 12 and 21 says, I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. Paul here is saying, hey, I'm going to have to mourn over the sin of these people. When we mourn over the sin we see around us, it doesn't allow room for indignation or judgment or condemnation. Right? I am mourning over the darkness I see in hearts around me. I am mourning that so many people have not received the truth and opened their eyes to the beauty of Jesus. In our nature, it is easy to misplace our anger when we see unrighteousness in the world. We, we, we see what's going on in the society around us and we, we tend to feel angry. We, and we tend to direct that anger towards certain people groups or ideological camps. Right? We, we can just think of the division that we've seen in our nation over the, over the last uh, several months. Right? That's, mystery, that's anger directed towards people who oppose my beliefs or who don't agree the, with, the, with the things I agree with. 
Right? Our anger or indignation, though, should not be directed towards people or, or, or people groups, but rather our anger should be directed towards the spirit behind the darkness, not the people. We mourn for the people. We mourn that people are blinded by the darkness of this world. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There is where we direct our anger and indignation in regards to the evil and darkness we see around us. We direct it towards the enemy of man, not towards man. When we see our neighbor or our fellow citizen in sin, We mourn for them because they are being blinded by the enemy. We look at man and we mourn. We look at our neighbors and we mourn. We look at society and we mourn. And that mourning drives us to our knees. If we're mourning in the case of what Jesus is talking about here, this mourning drives us to our knees. Just as the tax collector mourned his sin and cried for mercy, and just as we cry out for mercy for our own selves, so we also fall to our knees and cry out to God for mercy for the people around us. God, have mercy and open their eyes to your grace and salvation. God, break through the darkness and open blinded eyes, soften hard hearts, change minds, align desires all to the glory of your majesty. That's what mourning drives us to when we mourn over the sins of the people around us and of society. It drives us to our knees to cry out for mercy. There is a passion to mourning. Whether it is over our own sin or the sin of society around us, there is a passion, an intensity to what Jesus is talking about here. Right, that tax collector we just read about, right? He, he beat his breast. He, he cried out mercy for I am a sinner as he was beating his breast. There was, a, there was a passion in his heart. And just so, there's a passion in our heart to this morning. When we realize the devastation of our sin, it affects us deeply. From the innermost part of our being, we cry out for the only thing we can, and that is mercy. When we see the catastrophe of sin around us, it should cause us to call out with that same passion as if it was for ourselves. Mercy, O oh God, mercy. You see, that is what mourning in this way does. It brings us to the place that just as being poor in spirit, where we are incapable of doing anything about the sin that we are now aware of, we realize we are powerless to bridge the gap that we see that exists between us and God as a result of our sin. And so we do the only thing that we are able. We fall at the feet of the cross and leave ourselves at the mercy of the great Redeemer. When we realize our sinful state, it brings us to repentance. We are being called to mourn over our sinfulness. So where does that leave us? Well, Jesus said that if we mourn, we will be comforted. That is what happens when we leave ourselves at his mercy. He extends us his grace. We are not mourning as a result of guilt or condemnation. Jesus has freed us from that. But we still are aware of the results of our sin. There is a difference between mourning and guilt. You see, mourning or godly sorrow produces the desire to change and the desire to be open before God for him to mold us. Guilt makes us hide 
pushing us deeper into darkness. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9 and 10 says this, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. This entire aspect of mourning over our sin goes against our natural inclinations. You see, the natural man, we we don't want to feel sorrow over our sin, right? We, We want to just enjoy life. We want to do whatever we want and enjoy it. We don't want to feel sorrow over our sin. We don't want to feel consequences of our actions, right? The the natural man wants to do whatever he wants without feeling or experiencing any consequences or bad feelings. But this is why even this aspect of coming before God and mourning over our sin requires the assistance of the Holy Spirit. Remember, if we're poor in spirit, we are aware that we are unable to do anything pleasing to God in and of ourselves, It all, and includes this mourning aspect, it needs, we need the intervention of His Holy Spirit. You see, we are aware of our sin when we mourn over our sin, but that mourning leads us to repentance. It leads us to the cross. It leads us to look upon the one who bore my sin and my shame. He shouldered my guilt and he carried it far away. And therein lies the comfort that Jesus is promising. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When we come before God with the godly sorrow and repentant heart, forgiveness and cleansing is made available. There is comfort and joy in being forgiven and receiving salvation. John 1.12 says, But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We could go to passage after passage throughout scripture that states what happens when we come before God with a repentant heart and a contrite spirit. That is, he listens and he extends to us his salvation made possible by the shedding of his blood. And the beautiful part about this comfort is it is now and it is eternal. When we realize our sin... And we mourn over our sin. It drives us to our knees. It drives us to the cross. It drives us to cry out for mercy. God extends his mercy to us. He extends his grace to us. And he offers us freely his salvation. And so we can experience the joy of his salvation now. We can experience the the, the beauty and the wonder and the, the glorious Freedom that comes in knowing Jesus now. But there's also an eternal aspect to this comfort. Remember how there is this already not yet tension to the Beatitudes. Well, here it is again. There's a duality of this comfort. There's a now comfort to this, but we also have the promise of eternal comfort in heaven. Revelations 21.4 says this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That is the comfort that we are promised. That is the end game for mourning in this aspect. 
we realize our sin and we mourn over what our sin has done to God and how it has hurt his heart. But this morning, it drives us to our knees to cry out for mercy. And God gives us mercy. He extends his grace to us. And so now we have the joy of salvation. Now we have the beauty of his righteousness on our lives. Now we have the wonder of his majesty being shown to us even now. And we have the future hope that one day he's going to wipe all tears. He's going to remove death from the picture. There's not going to be any mourning, no crying, no pain, because all the former things have passed away, and we are going to live forever in eternity, in eternal bliss with God. Thank you for listening. Again, I hope this is a blessing. I pray again that God accomplishes his will and his purpose and his desire in his word. Have a wonderful day. 